Hey, this morning we are, this morning we're continuing our study in 2 Thessalonians. If you're here this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. Man, we would love for that to be a gift from us to you, for you to take home and be able to continue to read God's Word on your own. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you can find a table of contents at the front of that. It's going to let you know how to locate the book of 2 Thessalonians. And then as we make our way through, we're going to be in a number of just other places. If you want to scribble that down, you can find it later. But as we make our way through, just know that the large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Hey, would you join with me as we read this passage together? Paul writes and says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Would you pray with me once more? Father, this morning as we come into this place, we do so with uh, burdens and difficulties. We do so with split and distracted minds. And so, God, we just pray that you give a singularity of focus. God, on this family Sunday, uh, there's this uh, tendency to, to spin our heads and to look at the kids and the adults that are fidgeting and just ready uh, to not be sitting here trying to keep their kids quiet anymore. So, God, I pray that you would give them peace, that you would give us patience with one another. Got to pray for our kids who are normally in kids' worship that today that they would glean from your word, your love for them, and your calling of them to yourself. God, as Caleb prayed a few moments ago, and as our hearts continue to beat, our heartbeat, our prayers for the other churches in our community. So, God, I pray that you would give them a rich time of worship this morning, that we would see your spirit mightily at work in our partner churches in this community, that we would see darkness pushed back in this community through the collaborative effort of the body of Christ, that through Ridgecrest, that through Highland Terrace, that through Wesley Methodist, God, that through Greenville Bible, that through all of us under one banner, and that Jesus Christ. Would you give us a heart that desires to see your name lifted high in other bodies of worship across this community? And God, would you be with us in this time? Would you minister to our hurts? Would you be with us in our dissatisfaction? Would you journey with us through despair. Would you help us to attune our hearts to yours? Would you help us to open ourselves up to be healed by you, loved by you, and led by you through the valleys you carry us through? God, we submit this time to you and pray that you would be honored and glorified as we gather to worship you in the study of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Listen, I don't, I don't know where you are. Maybe some of you don't have kids, and uh, our kids are 6, 10, and 13. And, and I can remember all the various kind of ages of their level of desired involvement and in tasks that mom and dad are trying to complete. So let me just kind of give you a window into yesterday. So Valerie's in the kitchen. She's making Jello the fast way. I didn't know there was such a thing, but it's the fast way, Okay. And so the six-year-old says, ooh, I want to help. No, I'm just going to ask you, like, in what ways can a six-year-old help boil water? 
No, really, like, and so we're trying to figure this out, like, in what ways can they help? So not really, right? And so he says, well, you can't really help. He's like, okay, well, I want to watch. And so he rolls the stool, like, right here with, like, flame and boiling water. So we're like, stand back over here, buddy. And so he's watching as we're making jello. Really what he's doing is making it more difficult to make jello, which is already just kind of this mind-boggling exercise. Like, I've got liquid, and then I've got semi-solid, and all I know is it's yummy to my tummy, right? I love me some Jello. I can remember being a kid, and there went from this point in my mind to I'm not really watching dad, like I am legit helping dad do this thing. And it was it was this amazing sense of like I'm partnering with dad in getting this thing done. Now, candidly, between you and I, and he's not listening or watching this morning, turn this off, dad. Right. And so we're out there at my grandparents' house, we're at their property in one of the summers. And we need to change the blades on our bush hog, right? The blades are dull. We need to swap out the blades. So we flipped it over. And what we recognize on this thing or what he does, and he informs me, is that the nuts on this thing are frozen. And so we're not going to be able to change the blades unless we cut through the nuts on this thing and we swap them out. And so what is my job? Do I get to swing the sledgehammer? No. I'm the dummy on the ground with the wrench and the cold chisel. Okay? And so I'm down there, and so all my trust, all my trust and faith is in this man wielding a 20 pound sledgehammer. And so he swings it down. Bink! And I'm like, oh, this is great. Cut like this much, 30 more minutes of this, and we're gonna have one side of it done. Like, you are nailing this. Very encouraging. So he swings down again. And this pinch happens in my finger. The cold chisel flies away. And I'm like, man, what is this? And I fling my hand down and blood just goes everywhere. He had filleted open my finger with such precision that I challenge you to try the same thing with a 25-pound sledgehammer. <laughs> and I quickly recognized that I was really only suitable for watching. I was not yet ready for participating, right? Listen. What the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Thessalonica is an invitation to participate in the dissemination of the gospel. An invitation to, to participate, whoa, to participate in the dissemination of the gospel. Because what we recognize is that partnership in the gospel is a commitment to pray for others and to ask them to pray for us. Have you ever considered that? Like, it's one thing when someone goes to the mission field and they say, hey, look, I'm going to the mission field. Would you pray for me that I'm healthy? Would you pray for me that I could endure these difficulties? But alongside that, committing with them, partnering with them looks like opening your life and receiving their prayers as well. So our prayers aren't just one directional, praying for those that are there, but allowing those that are there to pray for us who are here. And I think that's what we're going to see this morning. So Paul opens up this uh, section here in these five verses, and he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Now, in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, and also in this one, we've seen time and again, he says, I'm thankful for you that. I pray to God for you that. And what we see here is he flips it, he inverts it, and he is soliciting their prayer requests for him. Paul, the one who planted their church, Paul, the one who grew them in their faith, this Paul asks them and essentially tells them our support, our endurance, our ability to stay the course, our ability to run and not grow weary, our ability to do all of, all of these things and to do them well hinges on your partnership with us in prayer. 
So he's begging them, he's, in, he's entreating them, pray for us. Now look at the substance of his prayer request. It's really two points. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have the faith. So the first thing he does is he relates the prayer request that he makes to them to what's already taken place among the Thessalonians. He says, I want you to pray that it would speed ahead and it would be glorified. Now, what does that look like? Speeding ahead is that the gospel would be unobstructed, that it would be unhindered. That as Paul is out there and he's in Corinth, that as he communicates the gospel, that people would hear it, that they would think on it, that they receive it, that the Holy Spirit would move in their lives for conviction and that life change would begin to happen. And then it would move to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. You see, Paul isn't simply praying, hey, would you pray that the gospel would speed forth and it would be effective for next week? He's saying, in essence, listen here, church in Thessalonica, what I want you to do is to partner with me in praying that the gospel would start now and continue to run and never stop. Do you see Paul's heart in this? Like, Paul's not a guy who's merely satisfied with the next program, with the next event that his church there, that his little cell group in in Corinth is starting to do. Paul is a guy who's never going to be satisfied until Christ returns. And so his prayer is, would you join, would you align your heart with mine in praying that the gospel would speed forth and go on and on and on? Now, the really cool thing about this, and we're about to get a window into it, is that Paul's desire isn't just for numbers. Like, Paul's not sitting back and filling out this report that says, I shared the gospel with 152 people this week. <laughs> and the next week he writes, it's like, I shared the gospel with 237 people this week. Right? Like, that's not his deal. That's not his goal. That's not what he's trying to do. What he wants to do is to see the gospel spread, not to just a number of people, but he, what he wants to do is to see the way people receive the gospel transform all that they are. In Acts chapter 32, Paul is in Antioch and Pisidia. And and, and I just want you to see this as a lens and a picture and a magnifying glass as to what it looks like when people honor, when people glorify the gospel. So he's there and he's teaching in the synagogue. And look, we're going to pick up in verse 42. It says, as they went out, people begged that these things might be told them again the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So Paul is there with Barnabas. They communicate the gospel. They do so in the synagogue. And people's response is, we want to hear more. Like, we want our lives to find alignment with the gospel of Jesus. We want to hear more. Would you please come back the next week? So he goes back the next week. It's just crushed full of people. It says almost the whole city was gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. And the Jews are frustrated and they're angry and they begin to rile people up to seek to tear down Paul. But look what happens at verse 48. It says the Gentiles heard that the gospel was also for them. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life believed. What do we see? When they heard the gospel, their hearts overflowed with a desire to respond, to submit themselves to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like for the word to be honored, for the word to be glorified. 
You see, it's not someone just internalizing, saying, I've got a new set of information. I've got a new set of dictates to live my life. I've got a new set of rules to live by. They bring their life into full alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying, I want to hear more. I want to yield my heart more. I want to submit my life more. I want my family to look like this picture. I want to go into the woes and the difficulties of life knowing this is true. I want to know Jesus in increasing measure. This is what it looks like to glorify. So we have some sense in our hearts that we too want this experience. We want the gospel to speed forward in our lives. We want the gospel to be honored in our lives. We want our lives to look like this picture of what Paul asked them to pray for him. But we also recognize the difficulty. Look at the second half of what Paul asked them to pray for. He says, listen, you need to pray that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul essentially says, listen, there are bad actors, there are bad people at work in Corinth, in Thessalonica, and a whole host of other places, and they are seeking to undo our efforts. Now, evil and evil people is something we understand well in abstraction. And so if I'm to ask you, like, who do you know that's truly evil? Who do you know that's truly wicked? You're like Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, Pol Pot, my mother-in-law. Like, I, I, like no, don't put her on the list, right? But you, she's not. Mine isn't. I mean, yours may be, but that's a whole separate conversation. Thanks. <laughs> Listen, I want you to hear what Dan Allender has to say in terms of evil. He says, evil is present when there is profound absence of empathy, shame, and goodness. Evil is present when there's profound absence of empathy, shame, and goodness. Empathy involves a connectedness to the heart of another and respect for their personal boundaries. An evil person is unmoved by the inner world of the other and has no respect for boundaries. Shame involves an ability to be exposed and disturbed about actual or perceived violations of relationships. An evil person is unaffected by exposure, so is consequently shameless. Finally, goodness involves the desire to see someone or something grow in strength, freedom, and beauty. And an evil person seems to delight in stripping away purpose, individuality, and vitality. Evil, for the most part, he says, is unfeeling. It lacks sorrow when someone suffers and joy when there is happiness. An evil person, he summarizes, is emotionally detached. So Paul sees these people opposing the gospel And their primary consideration is how this impacts me. And so they're perverse. They're evil. They're vile. They beat Paul. They imprison Paul. They whip him. They stone him. They arrest him. They ridicule him. They're seeking to do anything and everything to destroy the mission of Jesus. Because what they want ultimately is their own happiness. What they want ultimately is the preservation of their own world and they do it time and time and time again so paul asked them will you pray for us would you pray that we would be delivered now why does paul want to be delivered does paul primarily want to be delivered so that his life is of ease so that it's carefree so he can kick back on on a beach in crete no paul wants to be delivered so he can continue to work for the gospel 
Paul is a man who bore on his body the penalty and the punishment of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul is a man who bore on his psyche the trauma of being abandoned and betrayed. Paul is a man who understood what it was to suffer. Paul's deliverance is a request that he may partner for the speeding ahead of the gospel. Paul's request for deliverance is a request that he may join in seeing men and women and children give themselves to honoring and glorifying the Lord in his word. Amen? Y'all, in a very real sense, and we're going to do this at the end of the service, this is what we're called to do for those we send out. We're called to pray for them that, that as they share the gospel, it would speed ahead. We're called to pray for them that as they communicate the gospel, the men and women and children who hear the gospel, their lives would be radically changed and transformed and that they would glorify God in the response to the gospel. What we are called to do is to pray for our missionaries in Central Asia. What we are called to do is to pray for our partners in the Philippines. What we are called to do is to pray for those IMB personnel working in Poland, working on the borders of the Ukraine, that as men and women come across that border seeking safety, they would be those who communicate the gospel, and as it's heard and as it's received, lives will be transformed. People seeking physical safety would find eternal safety, good hope, and eternal comfort through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is what we're called to do. Like, and this is partnership. This is partnership. In terms of like sending people, and you've heard me say this, like, my heart is that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to go on a mission trip. And as a church, we do our level best to pay at least half the cost for every mission trip that any one of our members goes on. And we've been able to do that consistently. But that's not going to be the role for everybody. Like some of you, like the thought of flying on an airplane, whoo, like that's a non-starter for you. And we can have that conversation. Others of you have health conditions, you have jobs, you have family obligations, or just financially, you just can't make it. But everyone can partner in the extension of the gospel. Everyone can partner for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Every one of us can go to our Heavenly Father and say, God, would you grant them safety? God, would you grant them success? God, would you be glorified in what they're doing? And when you do that, you're on the field in the Philippines. And when you do that, you're on the field in South Sudan. And when you do that, you are with Chris and Sherry Beth in Kybera slum. And when you do that, this week, y'all, this week, you're taking the gospel to the Maasai tribe through giving out water filters. Will you partner in the extension of the gospel? Will you do that? Will you allow God to burden your heart to partner with those who are sent out for the furtherance of the gospel? and for the protection of those that carry the good news. Now Paul, in the middle of this, comes into two opposite thoughts. He said, we want to pray that, you, that we are delivered from wicked and evil men, and his thought in that is not all are faithful. So not everybody follows God. And then what he immediately uh, brings into conflict well, how he immediately answers the problem that not all have faith is he turns and he walks right over to here. He says, but God is faithful. And so Paul is worried about being delivered. And Paul is worried about the people he's sharing the gospel with coming to full faith. And he fully recognizes the opposition of the people around them that not all of them have faith. But then he comes into it and he answers his predicament with the glorious promise that God is faithful. 
Chapter, one, chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians 23 and 24. Listen to what Paul wrote and be encouraged. He said, Now may the God of peace himself make you holy completely, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is, everybody say, faithful. Say it again, faithful. faithful. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The answer for all of our problems rests in, in our ability to trust, our longing to trust, our willingness to trust. God is faithful. He's faithful. Paul says, listen, we need deliverance from wicked and evil men because not all people have faith. And in the middle of this conflict, he says, God is faithful. This is a message we need to hear. In the middle of our struggle with depression, in the middle of our despair, in the middle of economic uncertainty, in the middle of upheaval in our families, in the middle of your ingrown toenail, what you need is a reminder, y'all, that God is faithful. Like, we're never going to grow past that message. We're never going to grow past that truth. We need this reminder all the time, every day, everywhere we go. We need it when we go to the doctor. We need it when we're dealing with bad news. We need it when bad news is coming our way. We need this truth and this promise drilled into us so much that it comes out of our very pores. God is faithful. They need to hear this. They need to know this. They're struggling with the realities of what happens when Bob dies. What happens when Sue dies? What happens if the Romans come in? What happens if the doors of our, clothes, our, our, our church close? What happens in the what-ifs of life? And his answer to that is the Lord is faithful. Listen to what he's going to do. He says he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So there's this cosmic battle going on that may be news to some of you, but there actually is a real enemy that's out to get you. He knows your foibles, he knows your weaknesses, he knows your fears, he knows your insecurities, and he hears your lies. The lies you tell to others and the lies you tell to yourself. And he uses these things against you. And what Paul says is, in the middle of all these things, in the middle of this spiritual battle for your soul, the Lord will do two things. He will establish you and he will protect you. He will guard you. As I'm thinking about this and reflecting upon this, think about it in terms of Psalm 23. This is what God is doing for us. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me beside paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the dark valleys of life. You're suffering physical loss of your family members. You're suffering the personal loss of your health. You're suffering the loss of your mental state. You're struggling through depression. Even though you're in the middle of all these things, this is my resolve. I fear no evil. Why? It's got nothing to do with intestinal fortitude. It's got nothing to do with my friend group. It's got nothing to do with the strength of my church. It's got nothing to do resting on my convictions. It's got everything to do with him. It says, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me around like a caravan all the days of my life. And my future is secure. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is where I am. This is where I'm going. The security for the believer 
is that when you are surrounded by wicked and evil men on your left and on your right, this is what our God does. He lays the banquet table down and he is a patron over us, keeping us safe, keeping us steadfast. We eat and get our fill and nourishment from him while they plot our demise. This is what the picture is. They are hungry for our blood. They want our head on a pike. They want to see our lives burn in ruins and be shattered. They want to see our reputation and everything in us destroyed. And he is there setting the table, laying out the charcuterie board, right? You got the salami, you got the cheese, you got bell peppers, slice and julienne. It's beautiful. This is what he's doing. This is the security we have, resting and trusting in him. He sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We are established. Our feet don't slip. We are guarded. Just as a shepherd, shepherd oversees the flock at night, so we rest in peace knowing our tomorrow and our tonight is held in the mighty hand of our God. Amen. And Paul goes on, he says, listen, we have this confidence in the Lord about you. Paul doesn't look at the church there in Thessalonica and say, listen, Casey, Catherine, I have this terrific confidence. Yeah, no, now you're listening. I have this terrific confidence in you and in your ability and in your marriage and in your career and in your lives because your families are awesome and your dedication to the Lord is awesome. That, that's pressure, right? They're feeling the pressure. But his confidence for them rests in the Lord. I have this confidence in God about you. The Lord is faithful. So how does Paul know things are going to go well for the church in Thessalonica? Because he has confidence in the Lord about them. How can Paul give them a hope for a future? How can he extend to them the idea of a good hope and an eternal comfort? Because he trusts in the Lord. Because the Lord is faithful. As Paul observes their comings and their goings, he offers commentary. He says, you are doing good and will do good. You will do the things that we command. And then he offers this incredibly sweet, soul-comforting prayer for them and for us. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Psalm 37 and 23 says the steps of a man are established, they are directed by the Lord when he delights in his way. Where is your delight this morning? Where is your delight this morning? Are you delighting in the things of the Lord or the things of this earth? God is directing your steps. He is the shepherd with his rod and his staff leading you in the path of righteousness. He is the one directing your hearts to the love of God. Paul in Romans 5 and 5 says that God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If today you're in this place or you're hearing this and you have believed in the name of Jesus, you believe that God sent his son to live a perfect and sinless life, that he died on the cross, that God raised him up again three days later, that he overcame in that sin and death then you have received in your heart the love of God poured out on you, held fast in you and for you by the power of his Holy Spirit. But oh, the waywardness of mine. The 
waywardness of my heart that wants to find itself being established and guarded and held fast in my own ability. Like those things which have kind of tactile feedback. I want to be able to be steadfast, to be guarded, to have my future secure in those things that I have control over because those are things I can see. Those are things I can experience. And oftentimes when we go to our friends and we say, this is the issue going on in my life, and that's the issue going on in my life, what we hear for them too often is not an encouragement to take this to the Lord, that he is faithful, that he will establish our steps, that he will guard fast our hearts, that his love is poured out for us. What we hear instead is a pragmatic approach to how to address the difficult. Y'all, there's a time for pragmatism. But pragmatism, the one, two, threes of life, always follow putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Can't get that out of order. Lest we become a people of pragmatism. Of people who think that going through this life is the the doings of things well and right. Instead of the doings of things in the full trust and in the full equipping of the Lord. We are people who need God to direct our hearts to his love and the steadfastness of Christ. You see, Paul gives them this picture that partnership in the gospel is a commitment to pray for others and to ask them to pray for you. And I believe that's what we're going, that's what we need to experience this morning, and that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time doing. So I'm going to ask the, the elders and their spouses if they would come across the front And what we're going to do in this time is I have this week written to a number of our mission partners. And I said, like, in what ways as a body can we pray for you? So I'm going to lead us in praying for our missionaries and praying for the missions. But some of you in this place this morning, the thought of praying for somebody else is so incredibly overwhelming. Because what you need is someone to pray for you. You need somebody to pray for your job. You need somebody to pray for your health. You just need somebody to hear you say, I'm hurting, and to pray for you. So listen, if you're here in this place this morning and you have some type of physical malady that you're dealing with, some type of sickness you're dealing with, in line with James 5, uh, Jeremy and Delane are over here, Ken and Mitzi are over here, we will anoint you with oil and pray over you. If you're just here in this place and you just want to come and pray with somebody, you can turn to the person beside you or you can come up and pray with one of these men. I'm going to open us up in a time of prayer and I'm just going to lead us in praying. I'm going to ask that Caleb and the band go ahead and come back up during this time. Let me open this time of prayer for us and then I'll invite you to come pray with one of these and everyone else to pray through these requests with us. That you are indeed faithful. We can trust you. We can rely on you. We can believe on you. And God, as we sit here, some of us, we have some deep needs. And what we're wrestling through right now is whether or not our needs are important enough to go through the embarrassment of coming forward and confessing to somebody else that we have needs. And so, God, I pray that you would give to that person boldness. I pray more than that, that you give to them a deep sense of humility and brokenness. God, as we prepare to bring these requests to you, 
of our various mission partners. Certainly we're going to forget things. Certainly we're not going to list everything. God, Paul's prayer was simply that the gospel would speed forward, that it would be honored, and that they would be safe. So that's our prayer for our partners. But God, I pray that you would bless us as we pray more specifically for them and for their needs. God, I pray that you would burden the hearts of any in this room who want to come forward and pray with one of these elders and their spouses. That in this time, as we begin to pray collectively, that they would do so. God, I want to pray for Chris and Sherry Beth with the bucket ministry. Chris and Sherry left just the other day, headed to Kybera, headed to visit with the Maasai tribe. God, their prayers are for laborers. So God, we want to pray that you would send to them people to work with them. God, I pray for the encouragement of those men and women working in the slums. God, that they would just continue to see your faithfulness to them. God, their prayers are for funding. In the midst of a, 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 a depressed economy, when funds are tight and giving to nonprofits begins to trend downward, God, I pray that you would give to them the funds necessary to see the gospel continue to move forward. God, their prayers for open hearts. It's, it's, it's the prayer of Paul, open hearts, hearts that long to honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, their prayer is for travel mercy. Chris remembers all too well what it is to be stuck to have COVID, to be stuck with no team, no medical care, to see his life dwindle, to see his hopes at a return hang in the balance. And so their prayer for travel mercy are not empty words. Their prayer of nervousness, their prayer of having experienced the trauma of being sick in a foreign country. So God, we ask that you would grant to them those mercies. We ask that you would grant to them these requests. Father, we want to pray for Empower One. God, we're thankful for this most recent trip and the ways that Zach and Melissa saw Jesus work, the Spirit work in the hearts of people. God, we want to pray for David Kaya. We want to pray for John Monchol. We want to pray for the leadership of Empower One, that their hearts would follow you, that they would take encouragement from you. God, I pray for Richard and for his wife, Jacqueline, who's been sick, that you would grant to her health, that you would help them to be encouraged. God, I pray for them as an organization, as they reach the unreached, as they make disciples, and as they engage in church planning, that you would show to them favor. God, their bold plans to start churches, to start works, to partner with others. God, I pray that you would bind from them men of wickedness and people of evil. I pray that you would grant to them good favor. And we pray for the spread of the gospel. God, we pray for Igo. As I spoke this week with Brad Cardwell, God, their prayer that countries would continue to open up, especially Japan, where they've not been able to go for three years. So God, we pray for Brad, for Lance, for Kai, for all the other employees of Igo, the partners with Igo, their partner churches. 
God, I pray that you would continue to call students to international missions through their dwell camps. And Father, they need 20 interns to come forward and to work for them and to work with them, to partner with you in the expanse of the gospel. So God, their prayers for 20 and we're praying for much more. Would you burden the hearts of some, maybe even in this room, would you remind them of their desire to see your name be famous? And would you reinvigorate? Would you cause them to shelve their plans, to shelve their careers, to shelve anything and everything that stands in the way of them submitting to you? So God, we pray for IGO, for its influence. God, we want to pray for MCI and Alon. God, his story of salvation is improbable. It is unlikely and it is amazing and nothing short of a miracle. God, we're thankful for, for Renee who's come to faith through the college behind bars. God, that you are using the secular government of the Philippines to share the gospel in the prison system. God, we pray for the forums that are resuming in October. We pray for the scholars, many of whom come from a variety of backgrounds other than Christianity, that they would come to faith in Jesus. God, we pray for the college education behind bars in the prisons and in the jails, that you might draw more young men and women to commit their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we want to see their salvations. Educated, certainly. Saved, without a doubt. God, we pray for the retreat this coming spring of 23. God, that you would work in the hearts of those in this church and other places to burden them that they would go to the Philippines to be a part of pouring into these groups of students over a week. Father, we pray for Alon. God, we pray for his health and for his wisdom. We pray for his partners. God, we pray for joy as she leads the CR program for the incarcerated. We pray for their graduates. God, Alon is in the midst of so many incredibly difficult spiritual battles. And so we pray for his encouragement. And I pray that he would have a sense of the experience of what it is to be guarded and established. That when he feels isolated and alone, as he's traveling through these valleys of deep darkness that he would recognize that you are with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort him. That he is laying this table in a foreign land before your enemies. That you rest, that you guide over him. Father, we want to pray for Justin and Priya in Central Asia. God, we are thankful for this new house that you have given them. For the hospitality that they long to use it for. Hosting of locals who do not net not yet know you and God for those who do we pray for their times of fellowship and we pray for their works on various projects and thankful for the ways that you have allowed them to see those things come to fruition God we pray for their expat team in its growth we pray for this new couple who's joined them on the field even this week and God we pray for their development of a healthy rhythm of learning with sharing of others and of nurturing of relationships with you and with them. And God, we continue to pray for the local team that it would rise up to the challenge of leadership in the areas of beginning a new study of your word. 
And God, we pray for the five of them that are working to try and start 20 new Bible studies in their city by the end of the year. God, your word is going forth from this place, from the other sister churches in our city. God, your word is going forth through the cooperative effort of Southern Baptists, through the IMB, the North American Mission Board, and a host of other organizations to different peoples and people groups. We long to see your word speed forth. We long to see your word be honored. So God, we entrust our wants, our desires, our hearts, our future to you. And God, we ask that you would be glorified in all things. And we submit this time, our hearts and lives to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.